What's up with this love and light shit? Yeah, it's kind of like, what do those words even mean without the embodiment? Right, when people say love and light, I'm sort of like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) I'm Kayla Nelson, a holistic coach in both wellness and business, and a healer and educator of Lyme disease. I'm Jessica Jean Muir. I'm a personal empowerment guide through my work as a yoga teacher, trauma-informed body worker, and group facilitator. You're listening to Love, Light, and Go Fuck Yourself, the podcast. Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in to Love, Light, and Go Fuck Yourself. This is Jessica Jean speaking. And this is Kayla. And we're sitting here in pod space mm-hmm. in Denver. Our friend Ryan Fogue gifted us some space here. And this is take two. We came in not that long ago and <laughs> recorded a whole podcast. Oh, yeah. And we are not the most tech savvy because <laughs> it was not recording. <laughs> Yep. So this is take two. We're sitting in this beautiful space and Mm -hmm. it just feels really good to be here today. It does. Yeah. We have our own little like sound booth box area. Feels like a good container for sharing things. Super super official. And we made the the lights super vibey. Yep. We like turned off the overhead and brought in some of the lamps from outside. We did. I have a hilarious story actually to share about so last night I went to this homecoming event for um, this women's uh, weekend retreat. And Ooh. yeah, and they're, uh, forgive me, I can't remember the name of them right now, but they are the female version of the Mankind Project. Whoa. Yeah, if, you, if you've never heard of the Mankind Project, they're this uh, – international men's group that's been around for over 30 years facilitating yes 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 they're like one of the very first of its kind to pioneer this movement for men to have space to come and be empowered and embrace their masculinity and and all of it and um and they have a women's chapter as well it's not as big as the men's but um I went to two of the Mankind Project's homecoming. So what happens there is the men go off to their weekend retreat and then they come back from the weekend and their family and friends welcome them home. And it's like a recognition ceremony. So they stand up and they share a couple of minutes about their transformation and get to be witnessed by the people in their lives. And it's incredibly powerful and moving. Yeah. And so last night was the women's version of that and so beautiful so powerful um and then uh, the funny thing about it (laughs) with the lights and what we're talking about is so with the men's the 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 men's group when you walk in you know it's just like chairs up at the front chairs in the back literally literally on the table for like the food it's it's a couple rotisserie chickens (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and a block of cheese. No. Not kidding. No silverware, nothing. It's just like super, 
<laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, right? And then I was laughing because we walk in last night and the chairs at the front of the room for the women are all curved in this beautiful like <laughs> semicircle. There's flowers and candles and soft lighting. And then there's cookies and gluten-free cookies <laughs> and tea and cider and all of these soft, wonderful things, you know? And I'm just oh looking God. around. I'm like, oh, my God. And my friend Andrew, of course, who introduced me to the Mankind Project, uh, we're going to have him on actually next week. Hell yeah. Um, he's been in the group for over 12 years. Wow. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I was telling the story to our friend that we brought, and I was getting ready to share, like, yeah, this looks so different. And he actually said the rotisserie chicken thing at the same <laughs> time that I did. <laughs> It was so fun. That's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, a little funny story. That's super funny and kind of accurate. It's so accurate. It's so cool to see the the two different things. You're like, man, meat, cheese, <laughs> women, flowers, light, softness, gluten-free. Gluten-free. <laughs> oh, oh, that's kind of great. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> I'm like trying to think what's a, a clever segue right I know this is just like, like and no we're happen. just gonna take like a sharp 180 turn here oh well today we want to highlight two experiences that we've both gone through well one experience but two because we've both gone through one yeah <laughs> Um, that have a lot of parallels and similar aspects and that we both really believe deserve some attention mm-hmm. and um, understanding and two experiences that kind of don't receive as much loving care and recognition and discussion as they probably deserve. Yes. Um, so... <laughs> We thought that it would be best for um, Kayla to just dive right in by kind of sharing a little bit of her part of this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my part of this story is my journey with Lyme disease and co-infections. And I've talked about this a little bit here and there, and but not in greater detail. And um, I was just talking with Jess about how I feel like I've been really vague with mm. sharing things le- recently. And um, today I was having a hard moment and thinking about my healing journey and other people's healing journeys, thinking about self-worth and love and relationship and what it's like to be a healing person in the world and wanting love and connection. Ooh, it gets me all like teary eyed just thinking about it. And yeah. it's so hard. And um, I really wanted to talk about my journey back to loving myself mm-hmm. and the continual one that it will always be. <clears throat> um and share about Lyme and the impacts of what that does to your self-worth because it's a, a big one. Yeah. So we're going to dive into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where does it feel good and right for you to begin sharing your story? 
Yeah, I think um, I'm just going to start from the beginning. Yeah. And I get questions a lot because um, a lot of people follow me or find me on Instagram, which is an incredible tool, you guys, if you use it that way. I have had people reach out to me from all over the globe um, wanting to talk about healing from Lyme, specifically with bee venom therapy and all of that from the shares that I've you know, shared. Um, and, um, and I often get the questions of what was your experience? What are the symptoms you felt? Um, what did you go through? Like, how did you get to bee venom therapy? All of that. So I really want to share some of those pieces. So to honor the people who are going through this, to share for people who are in someone's life who is, healing from Lyme disease and co-infections, and maybe this will bring some light to an area that um, either your friend or your loved one isn't able to um, share. And sometimes I feel like I know with with my own friends and even my family, um, they didn't really actually believe me um, for a long time until they met other people that they weren't related to that shared their story. And then they were like, holy shit, Kayla isn't making this up. Yep. And that's really what it took. And that's heartbreaking. Yes. And, um, you know, to be honest, some of that stuff, like, doesn't fully – I'm still working through a lot of that stuff, you know, and it's been years. So I say that because this is a this is a process and it is a journey depending on what's happened in your life. And yeah. I'm just going to dive in and we'll go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, back in 2013, I was traveling with my ex-boyfriend um, to his family's cabin up in upstate New York. And it was out in the middle of nowhere. It was like a 45-minute boat ride across a lake to get to the house. There wasn't even road access to the house. It was by boat only. Mm. And um, it was either the second or the third day. I don't know. It was so strange being there. It's like a whirlwind. I'm not really sure. But I one day uh, we were in a kayak, and I got off the kayak – And I stood on the ground. And once I got out of the boat, truly, like it sounds cliche, but my life forever changed. I stepped on the ground and the ground was moving. It felt like I was on a trampoline or I was on a boat continuously. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And that in in that moment was the moment where I started keeping things a secret about how I actually felt. Wow. Because it was such an unreal experience that was so hard to describe that I didn't know how to share it that anybody would actually believe me. Oh, my gosh. And then from there, I started getting, like, neck tightness, and I was tired. I was sleeping, like, 16 hours a day and um, complete brain fog, having a really hard time putting words together and um, completely disassociated, fear started setting in. Um, I had no idea what was wrong with me. Yeah. Um, 
finally, a couple days later, we took a boat ride to go to the car to get into town to go to the little tiny clinic to get myself checked out. They couldn't find anything wrong, but I have um, a history of... Um, actually I had two ear surgeries when I was really young. Um, I have scar tissue on both of my eardrums. And so they thought that maybe I had an inner ear infection, um, but they couldn't tell because of the scar tissue. Yeah. So I lost like, I lost over 50% of my hearing when I was little. So at this time, like what's happening? Like, I want to know, like, yeah, what is happening inside of you at this time when you're just like feeling really bizarre and mm-hmm. they can't find anything? Like, mm-hmm. what is the process happening inside for you? Because I can't yeah. even imagine that. Yeah, complete contraction. I felt totally disassociated from anyone. I was with, you know, my, I had only been with my partner for maybe nine months at the time. So it was fairly new. I was meeting his extended family, you know, so that, and they're very extroverted and bubbly and all of this. And here I am like literally going deep into this dark hole. And it was just like, I, I, I am so far away from home. I am so far away from anything familiar and I'm like literally concaving into myself. And yeah, so um, traveled back to Denver from there and I started the search of going to many, many, many doctors. And like many people who experience Lyme, it takes many years for them to get diagnosed. Um, I still feel like I was really lucky in that it took me only two years to get diagnosed when oftentimes it can take an entire lifetime or 10 plus years. Wow. So um, along that journey of getting diagnosed, you know, I saw all of the specialists that I could see, um, neurologist, I had all of the testing done to test for MS and cancer and HIV AIDS and, you know, all of the autoimmune conditions and everything came back negative. But at the same time, I was having all of these neurological symptoms that were so difficult to talk about because I didn't even quite understand them. I honestly didn't even believe that I was experiencing some of the things I was experiencing. Like I could look at a wall that had a pattern on it and it would move. Uh, Looking at the carpet, it would move. The ceiling would move. Um, The ground beneath me moved. Mm. Um, And then weird sensations under my skin and neck tightness and vision impairment. And, you know, the list goes on. And there are many moments where I thought that I was going to lose consciousness at any point in time during the day. Um, And I was afraid every night to go to sleep because I really didn't know if I was going to wake up in the morning. Um, And oftentimes I did feel like I was going to die in my sleep. Um, And finally um, I got diagnosed in January of 2015 And from there, I started uh, treatment. I did both antibiotics and herbs and homeopathy and really hit it pretty hard. I was seeing a doctor here in Denver who is a Lyme specialist, and I really trusted. Um, And it's so weird. I was actually in his office seeing his wife for 18 months before. Yeah. Like I was in the office. I was one door over from the person that had the answers to to what was going on for me for 18 months. Wow. Yeah. So that like right there, I don't know. There there are a few pieces in my story that are so 
take this as you will, divinely timed, mm-hmm. that honestly I feel like what I have experienced and gone through has a deep purpose mm-hmm. because of the way that this un- all unfolded. Because yeah. there are just some things that I just can't make up. And I'm just like, that's so bizarre. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And um, and that kind of, that those tiny little synchronicities or mishaps that I thought were mishaps, but actually were timing things really had me holding on to the little pieces of hope when I thought that I had nothing left. Totally. Um, so yeah, from there I started treatment and, um, I went to the doctor every month and I changed up my protocol every month. And, Not only, you know, was it going to the doctor every month, it was spending, you know, $1,500 to $2,000 every month on just medical care. Mm. Meanwhile, my body and my mind are completely deteriorating. So what's happening, like, in your relational world at this time like yeah how what's happening with your job what's happening with Mm -hmm. your partner what's happening with your family like Mm -hmm. are you being supported or like what Mm -hmm. what is that like yeah thank you for asking that um my job again another one of these divine things that flipped um I had a friend ask me to come work I was working in the restaurant industry come work at this uh restaurant that he was at which it's basically like invite only to come work there so it was a huge honor and it also meant like a quadruple income increase for me so I literally there's no way that I would have been able to be where I am right now today without that job because Mm -hmm. it afforded me the insanity the insane amount of money that I had to pay for my doctor's visits with working half the amount of time that I did before So, yeah, it was hard. I was working in the restaurant industry. I was a server. While, like, the ground was moving underneath of me, my brain wasn't fucking working. I couldn't remember my coworkers' names. I could barely remember fucking anything. But somehow, like, this is the thing that is so baffling. And anyone that has Lyme that's listening, you understand what I'm talking about. Because I could be sitting across from you, like, talking to you like a normal person. And on the inside, I'm feeling... Feeling like my words are jumbled. They're not coming out. I don't, I don't even know who the fuck you are. Right. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know yeah. anything. And, but just somehow by the grace of God, I'm able to like speak and carry out these duties. That keep you like in the, on the grid. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And then that's where the invisible illness creeps in that people aren't registering yes. that you're sick. Yes. You know, I had many customers in the restaurant be like, you must be a marathon runner, an ultra runner or something. Cause I was so skinny. I was 25 pounds lighter than I am now. And I was tiny. And you guys, Kayla's tall. Yeah, I'm tall. She's really tall. And she's already like <laughs> slender and like, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, I'm 5'10 and a half, almost 5'11. And I was 120, 125 pounds. And yeah, um, and I've got like structure to me. I'm not like a thin boned person. Um, so anyway, very thin. And yeah, it was, it was difficult. Um, inside of friendships, friends like didn't believe me because I was having panic attacks often and all of these things were going on. 
and they were like, you're being a hypochondriac. Like, what's going on with you? Like, this is all in your head. Like, I don't understand. Like, you look fine. Or go eat a cheeseburger. Like, all of these things. Like, literally had a friend say, like, you need to go eat something. Like, what is going on with you? Oh. Like, dude, I'm literally, like, going to doctors every moment that I can to get answers. And everyone is saying, I don't know what's wrong with you. You're going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. Like, what? Right. You know, and family for me, um, I'll just go into this because I think it's important to not hide around this piece is difficult. Um, And I know that it's difficult for a lot of people in the Lyme community. And I think this is something that I notice as a trend um, or a theme in chronic illness and the healing journey is a lot of people who experience Lyme disease in particular have a lot of early childhood trauma. Interesting. Yeah. And that is for sure uh, true in my world. Um, My dad took his own life when I was 13. And then from there, um, my experience of my childhood was that my mom and my brother kind of became their own family unit and I became my own separate unit from there. And I didn't have love and support and guidance. Um, Instead, I was often just dismissed and there was just not any care whatsoever. It wasn't outrightly abusive or anything. It was just like dissonance. And so from that early age, the time that my dad left and my mom left in her own way, I really felt like I didn't matter, you know, that it was... I became my own mother and father and parent at the age of 13. And um, yeah, that's um, something that no child should ever have to experience. Um, So family for me has never really been a support. Uh, My friends have always been my family. And um, my family even more sort of disappeared um, and made comments about my weight and what was going on with me and um, all of that. And so that was gone. Um, My relationship was absolutely dwindling. Our sex life went down the drain. Um, The connection was not there. I was really fucking sick. And to be honest, like... We had many conversations about this in therapy even, like the situation got made into me being the villain and him being the victim of having a girlfriend who was sick, um, that he couldn't experience these types of things um, in his life and that this is how his life was going to be for the rest of his life, like having to deal with a sick person and all of those things. Mm. Um. And so that was another piece that really tore down my self-worth. Which can I just say something here? Because what you just said, I think, is such a marker of one of the things that is very different between invisible illness and then Mm -hmm. something like cancer Mm -hmm. or someone with a physical disability, Mm -hmm. like paralyzed from the waist down or something yeah is like relationally Mm -hmm. I feel like the person who has an invisible illness is often met with what you're describing yeah and 
you know, my parallel story, the story of like addiction, which Mm -hmm. is also um, invisible in its own way. Yeah. But, you know, there's like the whole thing of people instead of embracing you and being like, oh, my God, you're sick. How can we help Mm -hmm. with addiction? It's like you're fucked up. Why can't you stop? You're you're a fucked up person. And then getting disowned when what you really need is support. And what I'm hearing you say with this, what what you're sharing about your friends, your family, your your relationship, even like you being made out to be the villain is like, it's somehow your fault. Yes. That's exactly, I mean, thank you for saying that. That's exactly it. And that's how I felt throughout this entire journey through Lyme disease is that this is my fault. That I was a bad person for contracting Lyme, that I was a bad person for being this sick. I was a bad person for needing help and love. Um, I was a bad person for not showing up for my f- boyfriend or my friends. I was a bad person for not being able to go to work um, because I was too sick. All of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is something that someone with a either physical disability or something like, you know, the example I used before, like cancer, mm-hmm. I don't think that they would be met with that. At least not yeah. in what I've witnessed in my life. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's part of the human condition. It's so difficult. It's like, we are such visual people that if we see it, then we believe it. Right. But we have a hard time believing things that we don't see. Mm-hmm. And... And you can't see Lyme disease unless you're really looking, unless the person is truly on their deathbed, mm-hmm. which I was for a little while. And then people finally recognized, oh, shit, this is really serious. Right. Yeah. So at this point, what is the state of your self-worth? Like how had it shifted from that moment before you stepped out of the boat? What was your Mm -hmm. self-worth, your relationship with your self-worth like? And then how had it shifted at this point? To be honest, this is quite the interesting thing is my self-worth has never been great. Um, I think, you know, going back to the things that happened in my family and my upbringing, um, my self-worth was derived in this... um, high intensity um, independence that I had of myself and my own like taking care of me and all of that. But um, I didn't have anything backing that up saying you're loved, you're worthy, you belong here, you're supported. Mm -hmm. Like literally those words I've I've never heard from my family. Mm -hmm. Um, That's pretty impactful. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Um, and so my self-worth has never really been intact Mm. until recently, honestly. And that's one of the beautiful things about the journey with Lyme that I have experienced and I've seen others experience too, is this reclaiming of their life, Mm. reclaiming of a life that they didn't even have before they experienced Lyme. Right. Yeah. So how did you finally get diagnosed? I was one of the lucky, not so lucky ones that my Western blot test came back positive, um, CDC positive. So the Centers of Disease Control um, has a particular set of diagnostics that they say, if you hit all of these markers, then you are, in fact, 
um, positive for Lyme disease, which oh, is wow. incredibly difficult to meet, honestly, because testing is not reliable because Lyme doesn't necessarily live in the blood. It lives in biofilm and persister cells and the bones and tissues and joints and things like that. And it hides. It, and it hides. It's, it's really difficult to show up in testing. So that's one of the other difficult things about this illness is getting proper testing done and getting a proper diagnosis is really, really difficult. Mm. So you have to go into this community of healthcare where it's outside of the conventional ways. Right. You're doing muscle testing. You're doing these crazy expensive tests from Germany and, you know, all of that. And it's gotten a little bit better over the last couple of years. Um but they're still needing some improvements um, in in testing. Mm-hmm. So I did both um, the blood test and then also muscle testing, and they came back positive for Lyme, uh, Babesia, and Bartonella. Wow. Yeah, and Babesia and Bartonella are two co-infections. Um, and there are, you know, at a minimum around 14 that are fairly common that come with Lyme. So when you hear someone... Are these coming from a tick From also? a tick, okay. yeah. So when you're hearing someone say they have Lyme disease, it's not just Lyme. Right. It's just Lyme is already so difficult for people to understand that when you say, I have Lyme and Bartonella and Babesia, they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. Um, so it's truly more of tick-borne illness Got it. is what people are experiencing because a tick most likely isn't just carrying one infection, they're carrying multiple. Okay. Yeah. So most people, I would say, have three to five to eight plus different infections from one tick bite. Is there like an, this is kind of a little off the rails, but it just came up. Like, is there an evolutionary reason that ticks have this like really fierce disease inside of them? Or like, you know what I mean? Because I'm trying to think like, like, why is it here? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's a really good question. I really don't know. I do know that they have found Lyme disease back in the ice age, like in, uh, you know, the beginning of human time. Um, yeah. So it's been around for a long time. Uh, there are some theories going around that think that the government has, Uh, helped the increase of the spread of Lyme disease through biological warfare Mm. um, that they did in New Jersey area um, in, when was that? I can't remember what year that was in. Because there was a huge increase, wasn't there? Or do you think it's just like the diagnosis? Yeah, so Lyme was technically like called Lyme disease in the 80s from Lyme, Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. So Got that's it. where, yeah, there was this huge outbreak of these kids. There there were these school kids that all came down with all these like flu-like symptoms and super tired and um, joints hurting and inflammation, and they couldn't figure it out. Like, why are all of these kids from this one school really sick with all of these things? Uh, and then they figured out that it was this pathogen, and they um, this pathogen, this pyrochete from a tick, mm-hmm. um, is now deemed Lyme. And then there's you know the co-infections as wow. well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and also increasing uh, Lyme disease now is climate change and global warming. So, the ticks that have been infected um, over the spring and summer months are now not dying off um, like they normally do in the fall and winter because climate is changing. And so, ticks that are infected are now procreating and creating. 
that is being bred into their offspring and now they're spreading. Right. And also humans are now living more inside of nature's areas. And so we have human interaction um, that's going deeper into the wilderness, contracting these diseases. Our pets are carrying um, ticks into urban areas, along with birds and mice and deer and all those other migratory animals. Mm. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you think that Lyme only exists on the East Coast, you're wrong. Uh, there's Lyme literally everywhere except for Antarctica. That's the only place on the globe that they have not found Lyme disease. So even for you Colorado listeners, yes, Lyme is here. It's not as prevalent as it is on the East Coast and um, Midwest and the South and even the Pacific Northwest, um, but it is here. So prevention is really key. Mm. So, okay, so you've gone through this whole thing. Yeah. This whole two-year-long process of trying to figure out what is going on with you while experiencing these disturbing symptoms and then the repercussions of that in your external world. So when you finally get this diagnosis, what Mm -hmm. does that feel like? Honestly, when I first got the diagnosis, I was like, fuck, yes. I'm going to take this bitch down. I'm not kidding. I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, finally, I know what the, I know what I'm dealing with. Like, let's do this thing. Right. And then I started my first round of um, therapy, mm. um, and I was like, holy shit! This is the part that maybe people don't know is that treating Lyme, you actually get worse before you get better. Mm. So in treating Lyme, it brought all of these symptoms. It brought Lyme out of hiding, number one. So I was experiencing new symptoms that I've never felt before. Right. And then also what happens when you kill Lyme, there is a die-off that happens called a Herxheimer reaction or shortened into Herx. Um, so not only are you pe- feeling pain from the Lyme disease becoming more acute, but you're also feeling pain from the die-off symptoms or the Herxheimer oh reaction. Yeah. So um, I remember my first Herx was excruciating. I literally, like my skin hurt. It was like flu times a thousand. Mm. And I couldn't move and it just hit me like instantaneously. And it took me about seven days to come out of that. Um, And then I was in that cycle for years. Um, Yeah, pretty pretty terrible. Mm. So it got to the point where it was difficult for me to walk. There were times where I couldn't walk myself to the bathroom. In fact, you actually have helped me to the bathroom. And I needed someone to help feed me and water, give me water. Um, And, you know, immense physical pain. Um, I've had feelings where I thought that my foot was actually broken. uh, And it wasn't. It was just Lyme pain. Like, get out of bed, try and stand up, and my foot feels like it's literally broken. I can't put any weight on it. Um, To crazy skin things happening, like... Uh, it was difficult to take showers, like just water on my scalp was too intense. And I thought that I was going to pass out or lose consciousness or have a seizure. Um, 
reading, watching TV, any of those things were too much stimulus that I couldn't retain information or even like really look at a TV without it being really difficult. Um, Sound was too overwhelming also. I mean, everything, every part of the body is completely affected. Um, Yeah. And so at this point, could you see a way out or were you because like just from knowing you and hearing you speak like Mm -hmm. from the way I understand it is there's like some people where because it's so hard to understand and Mm -hmm. like um, test for and all these things and it's very misunderstood yeah like some people don't really recover right right so at this point are you feeling like there's going to be a way out or are Mm -hmm. you feeling like, okay, this is what it's going to be now for me? Yeah. I feel like where I'm at in my healing journey is there is a way out. And that way out has been through fucking hell. And it's been through, and I'm not saying that no one else through Lyme disease hasn't gone through hell to get on the way out. Like I'm. um, Well, I guess what I meant was because now like – that time you're talking about where, like, I helped you to the bathroom yeah. and whatever. Yeah. That wasn't that long ago. And no. now, like, you are, I mean, very from different. what you've expressed, like, yeah. your experience is very different in how you feel mm-hmm. and your physical symptoms and all of these things. Like, mm-hmm. you, I would say, like, well, it's not for me to say. But from, yeah. like, what you've shared with me, it yeah. seems like you're pretty fucking recovered. Yeah. And so at that point, like mm-hmm. um, when you're when you get the diagnosis and you're mm-hmm. experiencing these reactions and you're treating the Lyme, mm-hmm. did you ever think that it would be possible for you to get to where you're you are now? Oh man, that is such a good question. I don't know how to answer that because I was literally. like being forced to take it moment by moment and breath by breath so much so that was one part um and then the other part of it was yeah part of me was like I am not going to live like this for the rest of my life like I won't allow it Mm -hmm. um and that that mindset is what brought me to bee venom therapy bvt um and that truly has saved and resurrected my life <clears throat> to where I am now, hands down. Mm. Um, so I think it was a combination of both of those things, that will to be like, I'm not fucking going down like this. I won't accept it. Mm. Um, and taking it moment by moment and often not knowing how the fuck I was going to get there. Mm. And... To be honest, like, it wasn't always this, like, you know, me standing up, like, I'm not going to let this win. Um, You know, I did the mental side of dealing with Lyme is really intense and it's under talked about. And um, I feel like we could do an entire segment on that alone, Um, you know, and to be honest, I did. I went through periods of time with suicidal thoughts and idealization. Um, I went through some periods where my therapist was involved and was on call. And, 
yeah, it, it was borderline a really bad um, situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were many times I didn't want to live, even in doing bee venom therapy and experiencing wellness and then going, you know, that I think that's the hardest part with Lyme is the roller coaster that it takes you on. You can be well for a couple of months and like experience life and you're like, holy fuck, like I can breathe. I can like you know, talk to people, I can experience life, I can go to a movie, I can do all these things. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, whoom, yeah. and your life is just like back down in this deep, dark hole. And right. you're like, what the fuck? And when you get down there, you know, it's really hard to get out. Hmm. And it's really hard to be like, I can withstand this roller coaster. Right. And I, and I don't, I can't say, I can't pinpoint one particular thing that got me out of that. What I can say is therapy helped me. My friends helped me. You helped me. Um, I am so beyond fucking grateful for the people in my life who have stood by me in those really dark moments. Mm -hmm. And it's taken time for me to get there. Um, to create those friendships again. Right. And I actually want to go back a little bit because what I really wanted to hit home on was this self-worth piece that we're, you know, talking about here and reclaiming that. And I was just telling this story the other day about a moment where I had a pick line in my arm. And when I had the pick line in my arm, this is like a central line that goes straight to your heart. And I was injecting myself daily with um, medicine straight to my heart for an hour a day. So it's almost like doing your own chemotherapy, if you will. Um, but I was doing it at home. And um, I wasn't able to work. I was really fucking sick. Um, I lost my relationship. We broke up at that time. Um, I moved out of the house uh, I moved an hour and a half away. I moved in with a friend and I had no money, like literally no money um, and no job, no health, no mm. mental capacity. Um, I was totally, I was, I was done. And this friend took me in and she paid for my food. She paid for my medical care. Um, and then I was like, I got to the point where I had to set up a GoFundMe and that looking back on it, um, now is the first step in claiming that my life was worth it is, um, asking for help in that way. Asking people to um, give you money out of their pockets to give you life. Keep you alive. Yeah. Wow, that's really huge, especially given your family dynamic. Yeah. And then you're, like, beat all the way down to the ground. Yeah. And to almost have your hand forced to, like, yeah, ask others to see you and yeah. and contribute 
to literally keeping you alive. Yeah. 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 Through an illness that most people don't understand and that people can't see. And at that time, I was getting comments from other people saying, like, you should go model. Like, you should go be a model right now. Oh, my God. Like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) You know? Yeah, that's insane. I don't even know. Yeah. It's such a mind fuck. Totally. Um, Yeah. And something that's, like, resonating with me is is this piece of, like, that invisible illness kind of taking you all the way to the fucking bottom. Yep. Because my experience with alcoholism was very similar as far mm-hmm. as like I couldn't keep a job mm-hmm. because I was either getting drunk at work and getting fired, true story. Wow. Yeah. Or um or I was too hungover to go in, so I was getting fired. Mm. So I couldn't really hold down a job, mm-hmm. and I was, like, living with my my dad, you know, mm-hmm. and um, ugh, mm-hmm. so gross. Um, and, yeah, like, my I had relationships, I guess, but they were really, like, mm-hmm. fucked up. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And it's weird because of that whole idea of like, well, you're doing that to yourself. So yeah. asking for help or people like wanting to help you feels complicated. Yep. So I, f- I feel that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It really is. And it's weird. I feel like I'm still judging myself a little bit of this. I'm like feeling like I need to still um... – <laughs> Like, justify my ask. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, right now in this exact moment. A little bit. Why? I don't know. I mean, defending myself, I think, on that, like, Lyme is real. Wow. And the things that I was experiencing were real. And my childhood and the lack of family and the lack of support from my family is real. It's real. And um, that's fucking real. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's hard to say um, because it's shitty. Yeah. You know? Um, and so, yeah, claiming my own life, claiming that I'm worth it, all of that began in that very small moment there. Mm. And then um, <laughs> and then I had another interesting experience. All of these small moments are, like, just microscopic at the time but maybe even bigger than that now I'm looking in hindsight of giving me like hope that I could live that I had purpose that people believed in me Mm -hmm. um a few months after so I had the pick line in and then (laughs) I got a blood clot and um I was literally lying on a hospital bed and the doctor was like okay we're gonna remove the pick line um, and if the clot moves, it's going to go either to your heart or your brain and you're pretty much instantaneously going to die. I mean, he told me that just as I told you. And then he's like, OK, I'm going to count down to holy shit to five. So I'm sitting there like, holy fuck. And I actually like, said, like, on. holy fuck, hold on. Like, hold on. You're telling me I'm about like I could actually literally die right now. Like I could really almost die right now. Like, uh, what the fuck did I do with my life? What, who have I talked to? Have I, have I right, told like, people I, I love them? Calls? Like, Jesus. 
And I mean, it was just like uh, so surreal. Um, yeah. And 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 he pulled out the line, and I'm obviously alive. It didn't move, but holy fuck! Wow, right? Yeah. And even through that moment, having friends being like, "Oh, it's just a blood clot. It's not a big deal." It's like it's a blood clot in my arm. That's a big deal. Why do you think that people are having this reaction right at that time? I think because they're so afraid of sitting in fear. They're so afraid of death. They're so afraid of discomfort. And that's the beautiful thing. There's so many beautiful things that Lyme has taught me. Yeah. Uh, and sitting with discomfort is one of them. And getting to see when other people are sitting in theirs and not taking it personally. Mm. And I wasn't able to see that now or then, but I can see that now. You know, that the the disowning of what I was experiencing again, you know, that I almost died. And that I have this thing in my arm that is like, to me, it felt like any movement, any at any point in time, this blood clot well, could, yeah. le- could move, right? And go to my heart or brain and I not know and just... Lights out, gone, right? Right. Um, So anyway, this moves me to another story that was also profound is um, a few weeks after this blood clot thing happened, this was me again, like claiming my, I don't know, I was terrified. I went to this personal development workshop that a friend was like, you have to go with this to this with me and we went and it I was petrified it was like the first time that I'd really been out of the house and seen um and been in a large group of people in a really long time like probably years um and I was out of the safety of my own home and I had this blood clot in my arm and didn't know what I was going to do at the end of the workshop it was like a breakthrough workshop at the end of the workshop everyone got handed a wood board to karate chop through it to break through their self-limiting blocks, right? Beautiful thing to do. Yeah. I'm sitting here and we're doing this all in front of everyone. There there are like over over 100 people in this room. Like one at a time. Yeah. I'm sitting here with a blood clot in my arm and they're asking me to karate chop through a board. I kid you not, I was literally the last one. I was like, I can't do it. I was like running out the door. I'm not joking. To leave the the auditorium, like I can't do it. I was actually having a panic attack. And my friend um, came and she was like, are you okay? What's going on? I'm like, I have a fucking blood clot. I'm already scared that I'm going to die at any moment. Like you are wanting me to karate chop this board in half right now with my arm? Like, fuck you. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and then the the coordinators of the event, which are these like Whoa. big high powered people, like come over and they're like, "What's going on?" And I, you know, explained it, and they're like, "Well, you can use your foot," you know, all of these things. So here I am going now in the middle of the circle in front of hundreds plus people, standing on top of a chair and breaking this board, having this breakthrough with my foot instead of my arm and everyone in the room is like cheering me on and this whole thing is happening oh you never told me that before i haven't told that story actually <laughs> very often uh, maybe like once or twice whoa yeah but that was another liberating moment of like holy fuck i'm alive yeah I'm alive. Like I almost died like a couple of months ago and now I'm here and I just face some huge fucking fears and I push past them and I'm still alive. Mm. 
and like, holy shit, I'm worthy of it. And like, holy shit, like people care enough to like help me and yes. like push through and all of that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so those moments were huge and critical in me pushing past places that I didn't know if I could mm. go. And I also got so comfortable with death because I truly thought for many years that I was going to die in my sleep, yeah. um, that I got just used to the feeling and the fear of death, yeah. that I surrendered to it. Yeah. Not not all the time, but, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's something really freeing and liberating in that. So many of the things that you're saying, I'm just like, yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's there's something about the quality, I think, of, like, invisible illness where it can be so fucking isolating mm-hmm. that you are forced to grow in all the ways that you're describing. Mm-hmm. And then it's like... Well, I've faced up to the greatest fear that everybody has, which is death. Yeah. And I'm still alive. And, like, for me personally, there are many moments where it feels miraculous that I'm alive. Like, the last time my mom was here, she started crying because she was like, I really didn't know if you were going to be okay. Wow. You know? So, like, there's, like, this whole thing of, like, Facing up to mm-hmm. that and surviving, mm-hmm. and then everything else is then, kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and it, not yeah. all the time, but right. I yeah. think that it's you have a different perspective mm-hmm. after you've gone through something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think having those experiences and those close calls with death. Um, just in those couple of times, not counting all the other ones, it really did. And same with you too, you know, it it really did make me courageous with my life. And I think that courage is what's brought me here sitting in front of you recording this podcast right now, feeling well and and uh, healthy (laughs) and happy and having what I call, quote unquote, like real people problems, you know, like healthy people problems, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So what is your self-worth like now? And like, actually, before I ask you that, like one thing I really want to fucking highlight Mm -hmm. is that. And I remember having this conversation with you not that long ago, like mm-hmm. about both of us kind of feeling afraid to claim the term like recovered Ooh, yeah. or to finally like admit mm-hmm. that we were okay, Yeah, you know, and like yeah. we could kind of like move on and explore other parts of life. So mm-hmm. to for you to like be sitting here and be like, yeah, I'm pretty like well is a really big fucking deal and I <laughs> yeah. want like people to understand that. Yeah. Um and then yeah, and then the yeah. question is too like so how does your self-worth feel now being sitting here where you are you know well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I want to touch on that well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Word a little bit too. Gosh, there's so many things I could dive into and obviously talk for hours about. So I know. Uh, 
But this is something that's really critically important too that I'm realizing is the trauma and the experience of invisible illness and healing for so long. This is my greatest hurdle right now is like my body, I truly know my body is healed. It is my the trauma and the PTSD of the psychological uh, experiences of yeah. what happened are what I'm working with now. And that's why saying the word wellness, like I am well, I am healed, is so hard and also feels good to say. And I know it's true. And it's now getting to work on my brain to actually believe it so that they can be cohesive with what I know is in my heart. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and um, for those that are listening that are resonating with this, you know, it's like, I've said recently, it feels like I've been at war, like in Mm. Vietnam War for the past six years. And now I've come out and I've come back to like sunny, you know, Colorado and everyone's just like going about their life. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Holy shit. How do I be a person? Yeah. How do I claim like, yeah, like how do I claim health? Every day and not think about healing and Lyme and all of those things every second of my day. Literally, it's always been on the forefront of my mind. Totally. I'm a person healing from Lyme. I'm a person healing from Lyme. So now I'm working through meditation. Uh, Joe Dispenza is a, an incredible resource. There's the Gupta program. There's DNRS. There are a lot of resources out there that you can find that are helpful um, and just figuring out what resonates for you. It took me like two years to get to this point to actually like put in the work to retrain my brain yeah. and heal from the psychological damage, truly, that yeah. is healing from Lyme. Um, so moving into the self-worth piece, I think I've had so many experiences now of where I could have where the circumstances could have been different and they're not. And I'm sitting here in front of you, like I keep saying, um, that that in and of itself is like, no, I'm worthy of life. Like I work, I woke up this morning. I have breath in my lungs. My eyes are open. I can see and I can feel. That means that I'm worthy. Mm-hmm. And what I'm really working on now is knowing that I'm worthy no matter where I am in my life. I'm worthy no matter how sick I am, how well I am, how in between I am, how angry I am, how happy I am, how sad, any of those emotions, like I am worthy of living. Mm -hmm. And I'm worthy of love and I'm worthy of connection and worthy of belonging. Mm -hmm. Um, All of those things. Mm And I just recently had an experience where I met this person who has been on their own healing journey, and I guess I can see part of myself in their own journey, Mm -hmm. and I feel like part of our meeting has been for me to go in like almost like healing my inner child and going in and healing that portion of myself from a couple of years ago. And say those loving words of like, I see you, you're healing, shit's hard, and you are so fucking worthy of love. Like you're so fucking worthy of love, no matter what. Mm -hmm. I don't care where you're at. I don't care where you're at in your life. 
Like, you're fucking worthy. Doesn't matter. You know? Mm-hmm. And I wish... Yeah. 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 It's a tender moment. <laughs> um, yeah, and I... I know for me, like, it, and, you know, this is, like, quote-unquote controversial because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't believe that there's any divine orchestration happening mm. in the universe. I do. <laughs> and me too. So <laughs> if you don't, you can just fuck right off <laughs> for this next part and then come back. Um, but I think when you have the kind of experiences that we're talking about yeah and then you survive and then you're like okay that and there's so many others that don't make it out that way Mm -hmm. like I was talking to my therapist yesterday and she was like yeah a lot of people die going through what you went through yeah like really yeah and so it it does it feels divine that you know like we're sitting here looking at each other like Mm -hmm. you can't help but have an experience of like I must be worthy of something there must be a reason that I'm fucking sitting here because Mm -hmm. I went through all of that and I didn't die yeah totally so absolutely you know yes yeah, I feel that all the time. And when I actually like get into my body and go out into the places like nature where I really connect, I have these profound moments of just like, holy fuck, my mind gets blown open at the profundity. Is that the right word? Can I like you? it. Okay. The <laughs> profoundness. I don't even know if that's right, but whatever. <laughs> the magnitude at which nature has coursed through my veins is still mind-blowing to me to know that nature is what caused this destruction and this decimation of life and nature through bee venom therapy has also been the thing that has brought me back to life And that that is literally like nature's cycle of the life, death, life has literally moved through my body, Mm -hmm. moved through my soul, moved through my spirit. I mean, how can you say that's not divine? Right. That is like like by definition. Yeah. That is like divine order happening on many levels. Yeah. And I can tell you with my whole entire heart and my whole fucking being that I am so deeply grateful for Lyme disease because I love the person who I am right now. (laughs) I love the journey that I've been on. Mm -hmm. I love even the pain that I feel because it's an honor it's a fucking honor actually to feel that yep 
Because as cliche as it sounds, it means that I'm fucking alive. Mm-hmm. It means that I'm trying. It means that I'm showing up with my big ass fucking heart. And I'm like trying to do the damn thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I do. And it means that I'm not stuck in isolation any longer. And I'm showing up with my full self. Yeah. And that I can actually feel things now. I wasn't able to feel things for a long time oh, before. I feel that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that can go back to, you know, addiction and all of these other quote unquote invisible illnesses, you know, and and even not in that, like how many people are walking around numb to the things that they've experienced in their life, to the lack of love and belonging and self-worth and all of that that they didn't get to experience when they were young, which is most of us, Yeah, right? And yes. and this breaking open process, this complete destruction that Lyme has brought on in my life has been a complete fucking honor to live through and to be sitting here because I know that I am deconstructing and demolishing and healing ancestral wounds and traumas of my lineage. And I'm not moving forward by progressing that shit any longer. Mm. I'm interacting with the world differently from a place of love and compassion and understanding and empathy and communication and connection. It's been an honor to go through this process of Lyme, this deconstruction, decomposing of my old self, not only for me and my lifetime, but healing the wounded parts the trauma parts of my ancestors and also knowing that the work I'm doing here now is helping future generations in whatever capacity whatever ripple effect that has come into my life ripples out into others and so in that process it's helped me to not feel like the pain and destruction and everything that I've experienced in Lyme was in vain because it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Because I've had the incredible opportunity to heal the traumas that are acutely happening in my family lineage. Just acute meaning like in my lifetime getting to really decompose the parts of myself that actually aren't in service of me showing up as a human being with love and light in my body Mm -hmm. right um and that is the beauty and the destruction that's happened Mm -hmm. with Lyme and I feel so humbled in and in so much gratitude for that and I think about often like the opportunities that I have in healing my mom and my grandmother and you know my dad and 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 my grandparents never had that opportunity 
yeah, they've had their own traumatic experiences in their life and that stuff got passed down to me and my DNA and their projections of that onto me in this lifetime. And I don't know what makes me different. You know, I think it's just my dharma for this life to be the, like, it's fucking stopping with me. And I'm making sure that that is so. And that's been my journey with Lyme. It hasn't been just a journey of feeling, uh, healing a pathogen, a bacteria, um, and the viruses that have come along with that and all of the other immunological uh, disorders and diseases, right? It's also allowed me to really break down the, the karma of, a, of my life to heal and grow and that is what like has brought me life today right and i can't say like what i can't say what um i can't pinpoint something that was like a force in my life that showed me these things i think it was the perpetual place of being in darkness and the perpetual place of having some kind of innate mystical beings that I can't explain. Mm-hmm. Some of you will maybe resonate with this and some of you won't and that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. But I truly feel like that is the thing that's propelled me into healing is the divine, the divinity in it yeah. um, that I can't explain. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny, like... Um, Someone today actually had just mentioned to me, like, wow, I can't believe that everything that you've gone through with your healing from Lyme, that you didn't have actually like a a religion or a deep spiritual practice throughout that, either before it or during it. And I was like, wow, I sat with that for a moment today. And I was like, you're right. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and seeing other people who have been healing or whatever, and not to make myself seem different, but in a way kind of different. I haven't had religion, uh, like one religion, one God, one any of those things. Um, And it has been of this like guttural (laughs) from the depths of some part of my being that brought me into this place. Um. Yeah, it's been hard. Uh, And I'm curious about that. I think I'm going to be sitting with that piece of information for a little bit and doing some processing around that part. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for listening. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really pray that these words and your story falls on the right ears Mm -hmm. and I know that they will and they already have Mm -hmm. and yeah we're just like blessed to have you in the world sharing your story and your wisdom yeah thank you Mm -hmm. it feels like like I've just 
talked about for the last number of minutes, it's it really is an honor. It is a humbling honor that when I really sit and feel into it, I weep for a long time mm-hmm. and just I can't believe, you know, uh, the things that I've witnessed and moved through and how that was all possible and the opportunity to do that presented itself mm-hmm. and I, I am forever grateful for that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah thank you thank yeah. you for holding the space so beautifully for me to share some really vulnerable things mm-hmm. and um, yeah it's it's an honor to be an advocate and an ally and to share a story. Yeah. And that's how connection forms. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Mm-hmm. Mm. Until next time. Yeah. Talk soon. Mm-hmm.